Welcome to New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information regarding New Hope, visit newhopecom.org. Well, Holy Spirit, I just I just welcome you, God, that you would just anoint uh, this word today, God, that it would bring ease into people's lives, that it would bring breakthrough, that it would bring us closer to you, that it would bring a, a greater sense of awe and connection, and uh, and that it would impact our lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, with the Lord's Prayer, I just want you guys to kind of forget for a moment that you've ever even heard of the Lord's Prayer, and let the familiarity of it just kind of like wash away and uh, look at the passage with a fresh set of eyes, like with a new expectancy, because this passage has been, I mean, it's one of the most well-known prayers in all of history, and we learn it from when we're little kids, if we grow up in the church, and if you're a Christian for two seconds, you probably hear about it. Um, Some people pray it from a place of tradition. It's just like a repetitious thing, and it means nothing. It's just this thing that Jesus said, and when the disciples asked him how to pray, and we hear it so much, it's like, it's like water, and, and it just goes in your one ear and out the other. So, if we can just look at this passage and let it become new to us, let it like inspire us again, because this right here is something that I believe is, if you can get the essence of this prayer saturating your thinking, it will change every area of your life. It, it's like this prayer right here is one of those things, like a mystery that it will revolutionize your intimacy with God, it will revolutionize your identity, it will revolutionize every area of life and how you impact the planet. This prayer right here, Jesus compressed so much information into this little prayer, we could explore it for probably all of eternity. And uh, we're going to go through today kind of the path that we're on is we're going to talk about obviously the importance of it, but then we're going to break it down. I'm going to go almost line upon line about what, what is compressed in this prayer so that it can impact your life. So, let's go ahead and just read it for a second. I should have had them put up on on the screen. That's Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, that's so, it's so good. I just love looking at it just again. Uh, and I get, I get pumped every time I think about speaking about this or writing about this. Uh, it's on page 666 in my Bible. Um, I don't know. I just noticed that. It's awesome. That's the real meaning of 666 right there. So, when Jesus revealed this prayer, he was this model prayer, he was doing more than just giving us a correct method of pray, a prayer. He wasn't just trying to say, here's how you pray, and if you do this, if you say it just right, then it's like a machine, and it's going to spit out results. He also wasn't trying to give us some new mantra to repeat thousands and thousands of times in hopes of getting heaven's attention. Uh, what Jesus was doing with this prayer is... Uh, you know, it was, let me say this too. It was also not a plea. This prayer was not a plea. It wasn't like a place of begging, but it was rather, it was a confident declaration of God's heart. It was a son talking to his dad. It was a relationship and it was a lifestyle for Jesus because this prayer 
is actually evidence of exactly what God's will is for your life, for everyone's life, for every issue on the entire planet. If you look through each line of this prayer, it will reveal to you the exact will of God for your life and for the planet. So I'm going to just go through the list for just a moment, and then we're going to go into it deeper as we move along. So like I said, this, re- this is revealing God's desire for your life, His passionate desire for your life. So starting in that first portion of the prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your names. This is God's desire to know you and to be known by you. Number one will of God is to have a relationship with you in this prayer. That is the foundation right there. Matthew 6.10, for heaven to invade earth, for his world to look for our world to look like his world, for heaven to come to earth, for his will to be done, for his kingdom to come. And right there, if you just meditate on that, it reveals a ton of things about what his will is. Give us this day our daily bread, no lack. God desires for nobody, uh, for, for everybody to have no lack in their lives, not spiritually, not emotionally, not physically, absolutely no lack whatsoever. Forgive us so th- he wants forgiveness. That God's desire is forgiveness, not only to receive forgiveness. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to forgive others and for there to just be a culture of forgiveness. This is God's will for our life. Lead us not into temptation. God does not desire you to live a life full of temptation. He desires for you to be delivered from evil and every manifestation of it. And then finally, yours be the glory and the honor God desires us to worship and praise and acknowledge Him and to be thankful in everything that we're doing. So, this prayer right here, the will of God for your life. This prayer clearly reveals God's will so that we can pray in agreement with heaven and see results in the here and now. You can actually take this prayer and use it as an adjustment or a ruler against every other prayer that you pray. Is this prayer matching up with the will of God that's revealed in the Lord's Prayer. It's like a ruler, and you can measure everything. It's not even that you need to pray, pray this prayer word for word, but rather that the essence of this prayer should be found woven into every other aspect of every prayer that you ever pray and into your entire life. More than it being a prayer to be answered, it's actually a prayer to become. You can actually take the Lord's prayer on as an identity and begin to wear it like clothing in your relationship with the Lord. Because this prayer, it literally beckons us to share in the same intimacy with the Father that Jesus had. That's what this prayer is inviting us into. He was giving us something, inviting us to live the same life that Jesus lived on the earth. Because everything that he was doing was connected to intimacy with the Father. Every single thing that Jesus was doing was connected to him being a son and God being his Father, and he was living in this relationship. And this is like, this is like a snapshot of what his intimacy was like with the Father. And he was constantly, I mean, everywhere that Jesus went, he was healing the sick, he was raising the dead, he was, winds and waves were obeying him. Everywhere he went, there was movement. And the disciples began to kind of catch on to this. They're like watching this happen. They're watching the divine nature of God being revealed, put on display. They're watching Jesus pray. Things are happening. Every single place that he goes, it's like unstoppable. And they start to wonder. You can almost hear their ponderings like, what the heck is happening with this guy? Who is this guy? What kind of, um, 
what kind of prayers is he praying? Like, what kind of, what's the secret sauce, you know? Like, they're, like, he prays, every person he prays for, they get healed. He stops winds, uh, food gets multiplied, disease is dissolved, you know, everything is happening. He's walking on water. Like, what kind of prayer is he praying? I want to know that prayer. Because if I could pray that prayer, maybe I could see the same results. Maybe I could experience the same type of things. And, uh, just the miracle, signs and wonders flowing from Jesus, this is like the love language of heaven. He was consistently and always revealing the nature of God as uncompromisingly good yeah. all the time. Hebrews 1.13 says, Jesus was the flawless expression of the nature of God, an exact representation of His very being. So as the disciples would hang out with Jesus and they began to see Him like going, running for the hills, spending alone time with God, and seeing His life that led them to ask the right question, which was, Lord, teach us to pray. And I think that maybe they were looking for some kind of formula. Maybe they were looking for, like, a new ritual. Um, you know, you got to understand, they were in, the time that they were in, it was a very performance-driven law. Uh, they were looking for something, teach us to pray, give us that mantra, give us the thing, give us the words that will access heavens to us. Basically, witchcraft. Give us the hocus pocus, the abracadabra that's going to, you know, give us, a, give us the magic wand to, to wield, and then maybe we can do the same type of things that you're doing. But Jesus, instead of giving them that formula, he gave them a heart cry. He gave them a piece, an, an, a perspective on what his relationship with God actually looked like, and he showed them what God's will is for the planet so that then when they prayed, they could actually be in agreement with heaven, like I said before, and see those results in the here and now. So, what I want to do is I want to decompress. I want to, uh, it's like a zip file, you know, you get in your computer and you just like, it, you have to unpack it. And I want to go down the whole prayer and I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I'm going to be looking at my notes a lot more than I normally am used to, but I want to make sure I say everything. And my heart for speaking about this prayer is that it will increase our intimacy with the Lord, that it would actually impact our life, make our lives easier, and that we would, uh, we would experience God's desire in this being manifested actually in our lives. Um, because I, this prayer really is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. So let's just start with that first portion, our Father. And then we could just start with our. And you think about our. If this is our church, it's also my church. If this is, if it's our dad, it's also my dad. So if it's ours, it's also mine. And it's easy to say, like, okay, it's, he's our father in heaven. But you got to take that our and make it my daddy is really what you got to do. Because that was the true essence of what Jesus was saying here when he said our father. And it's important to make that personal because when you're praying, you can say our Father because it is a corporate thing. That is important. But to understand that it is a personal thing and to make that transition to where it's not just God is the Father of all, but He's also my dad. Personally, intimately, individually, He's my dad, and I have a personal relationship with Him. And when He said our Father... That word father, we've heard this probably a million times if you've been in church, but it's Abba, which was like that term of endearment, which was daddy. 
It was, a, it was more like a little kid running and sitting on his dad's lap and saying, Daddy, Daddy. That was more the relationship that he was talking about here. The reason this is important to understand is because no president's kids come up and say, Hey, Mr. President. Like, there's, that just doesn't happen. Like, President Trump, his kids don't run up and say, President Trump, you know, Mr. Trump. Like, they probably rip open the refrigerator and say, Dad, can I have some of this or that, some of that? Like, there's absolutely no... Before they know him as president, they know him as daddy. Always. Before they know him as anything else. That's the foundation of our entire spiritual life is knowing him first as daddy. And sometimes that word daddy, it kind of creeps people out. I mean, like, even just trying to pray it. Like, if you've never, if you've never prayed hey, daddy, uh, it feels a little weird at first, but then eventually, like, you just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's okay, that's cool. Like, I don't even call my own dad daddy, but I'll find myself praying, you know, and you can call him dad, like, hey, what's up, dad? You know, like, think more like teenager, too, like, hey, dad, what's up? Or look at, look at when, <laughs> look at when Marissa came up here. She's, like, calling your dad Steve. What's up with that? <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Let's give it up for Steve. That's so funny to me. She's funny. But first name basis, intimate, and more close than I think that what they had experienced in that time. So it was revolutionary. It was a revolution. When Jesus said, our Father, that one word revolutionized the way that all humanity would relate to God from that point forward. Now, this is why it's, it's also, I'm just going to say one thing. It's also important how we see our earthly father, because that is going to clean that's going to be the lens through which you see your heavenly father which is why you should go to Karen Sozo event in August okay just going to I knew I needed to put a plug in the Sozo event all right so now we're going to look at in heaven so knowing where your dad at is going to breed security if you don't know where your dad as is at you're not going to have security but then that goes to the next question, where is heaven? Because I think we often think of heaven as like this far-off reality. It's like this galaxy somewhere. You know, he's in heaven. It's this place we're going to go when we die, and uh, then we'll get to experience all those things. But heaven is actually a dimension. It's more of like a reality that is present. It's a, it's a parallel dimension. It's here right now. It's at hand. It's in the room. It's actually also, it's also inside of every believer, and not only is it all around us and inside of us, but in Ephesians, it also says that you're also seated in heavenly places. So somehow you're bilocating right now. You're in two places at the same time. I don't know how that's possible, but it's what the Bible says. So I think part of the whole Christian life is becoming more aware of where we're actually at. And, and, and living out of both places and becoming like a bridge for that place to become here, uh, to come here. So where is heaven? It's not just where you go when you die. It's not some distant galaxy. It's right here, right now. It's all around us. It's in us. So to know that our Father is in heaven is to know that He's always at hand. So that right there, our Father who is in heaven, boom, there's your foundation. Like if you just get stuck there forever, you're good. You're good. If you don't ever learn another thing, about what it means to be a believer, that's fine. You've won the game. So we're going to keep going. Are you guys good? I know it's like a different thing, like breaking down. 
more of a teaching. So the next part, my absolute favorite part, is hallowed be your name. I'm, whoa, I'm feeling Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm addicted to God's names. I love them so much. Like, yeah. oh my gosh. Like, I don't even know when this passion began, but his names. Um, you know, it started a long time ago when I was in high school. I read this book. Whew. Thank you, God. It's like, uh, Steve's probably on the front row going, there's that feeler. I have, there's that. <laughs> Thank you for Myers-Briggs, Lord. So it's either a feeler or the Holy Spirit. I don't know. That's probably the Holy Spirit. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I read this book. John Paul Jackson wrote this book, uh, 365 Names of God, Understanding God's Names. And there was this CD back in the day. It was like, we just, re- I mean, ever, raise your hand if you ever heard John Paul Jackson's 365 Names of God. Wreck you, listen to it. I, I'll just listen to it all day long, driving. Um, I, I, you know, you just, uh, it's just like, it's spoken from, uh, is from first person, like, I am light, I am. And it's like this music in the background. It's just like God speaking his names. And uh, man, that, that right there, uh, absolutely changed my life, and it, it ignited in me this passion for God's names that I didn't even know how central that would become to my life message and every single thing that I'm doing. I can barely get past this right now. Yeah, <laughs> <I know. laughs> wow! Thank you, God. And that right there, <laughs> this is the message, actually. Hallowed be your names. This is actually like what it should do because you're like, oh, gosh, thank you, God. Like, you know he's your dad, but then you get to know all these different aspects of who he is. It's like the foundation is that he's your daddy, but then before you know him as righteous judge, you know him as daddy, and then you can build on that as righteous judge, and then you can build on that as he's the healer and that he's peace. And that hallowed be your name's portion is like this place of total awe and wonder, it's, the, it's, that, it's that peace that will literally open up your heart. The more you meditate and understand, it's not just hallowed be your name like Jesus or God. It's actually, there's hundreds of God's names revealed throughout Scripture. And meditating on those and getting to know Him in each and in every facet of who He is, and then that cre- creates this awe and this wonder. And, it, and it, that worship song we were playing at the end, uh, in, in awe, standing in awe with... Uh, yeah, I can't even remember right now, but I was like, when I was preparing, I was preparing a message on the Lord's Prayer, but I also felt like I could title it uh, Restoration of Awe, yeah. because the names of God will restore awe in your life. If you've lost your passion for Jesus, or you don't really know where to pick back up again, you can just pick up one of His names and yeah. get to know Him as that person. Um, I mean, get to know him as daddy first, but, but then you get to understand. Oh, I, I want to read this verse, Malachi 3.16. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. There's actually a book of remembrance written for those who have taken time to honor his name. That's crazy. In heaven somewhere, there's a book with your name in it if you honor the name of the Lord. I mean, that could be the book of life. I, I could see that too. But this, this verse, it just says it in such a way that it's like, whoa, a book of remembrance for those who honored his name. 
Some of the names of God, peace. My dad is peace. He doesn't just give peace. He is peace himself. He's not just the healer. He is healing himself. Every fiber of his being is healing. He is breakthrough. He is a consuming fire. My dad, my daddy, my dad is the God of angel armies. Like, how, how, what, what kind of confidence would you have if you really believed that? Like, my dad is the angel, a God of angel armies. You know, he's like a consuming fire. That's my dad. You know? Like, you see all this light in the room? Like, my dad actually is light. Like, he is healer. He is El Shaddai. Oh, man, this joke might not go over well. But El Shaddai means many-breasted one, which means God is utterly powerful. (laughs) Just take it in. Some of you got it. Some of you are offended. But that's what it means. Many-breasted one, which really refers to, like, unlimited resources and multiple streams of income and the mother heart of God. Um, but, but these, every name, you could spend, you know, every single name, there's a, there's a solution to every problem in your life found in one of God's names. Like, you name any problem in your life, there's a name of God. It's like there's an app for that, there's a name for that. There's a name of God for that problem that you have. And God has made himself vulnerable to us by revealing his names. Because back in the day, there were ancient deities that wouldn't even reveal their names. They were actually hidden names. Like, they wouldn't show, open it up because if a god or a goddess revealed their name, then it would give the people access to that power. And all God does all day long is reveal all of his names to us, except for one that's hidden on a thigh somewhere, I think, in Revelation, right? I'm not sure. Is that right? Like, we don't even know what the name is. It's like, that's his hidden name. That's the one name Jesus keeps a secret. Am I right about that? Is that... You guys know what I'm talking about? The thigh, the name on his thigh in Revelation? Side note, it's a secret. We'll find out later. That's the one secret name. But he does. He makes himself vulnerable to us and gives us access to his power. And the importance of names in ancient times was so much more important than it is in our modern-day culture. I mean, when they named their kids, they weren't just like, I like the way Bob sounds. Let's just name him Bob, you know? Like, let's just slap it on there, you know? Um, You're welcome. I could use any name, Will. I like the name Will. But every single name, even if you look up your own name, you can go to like behindthename.com, you can look. Every single one of you has a name, actually has a meaning, and, and, uh, and people used to name their children based on those meanings, not just the way that it sounded. If it was hipster enough or cool enough, it was like this name actually means something, and they would name that child in hopes that that, that meaning of that name would actually manifest and play out in their life and in their destiny. So, how much more important were the names of God to people of ancient times and understanding who he is and understanding those names? Uh, now, just a quick, you know, a quick note, too, is that these names are not just to be known uh, intellectually, but these names are to be meant, meant to be known experientially. Um, you shouldn't just know that God is peace. You should experience that peace. You should experience that healing. Uh, that consuming fire, experiencing his provision. Now, one plus one equals two, correct? So, if a dog gives birth to dogs, and a cat gives birth to cats, and human beings, we give birth to humans, what would God give birth to? 
That's intense to think about. Now, if 1 plus 1 equals 2 and he's our daddy, then that also would mean logically that we're his children, which we get that. We're his sons. But my son's last name is LaMonica because my name is LaMonica. So that means that every single name of God is also your name. (laughs) I am will consuming fire. I am will healing. (laughs) And as you honor him for who he is and you worship him for who he is, that honor, what you honor, you make room for and increases in your life and it begins to manifest in your life. Not because you're becoming more like him, but because you are his son already and that DNA that's in you, it's like, it just begins to come out. It's like, you know, apple tree is always an apple tree, but that fruit eventually is going to come. It might not be there right now, but it's there. It's a 100% apple tree, and that apple's coming. You are 100% divine children of God. And too many people have taken this way too far, and I'm, what I'm not saying, I mean, we get to say, I am with the I am, and that might sound like I'm saying that we're God, but that's not what I'm saying. Too many cults have went down that road, and they've, you know, we have a lot to learn from. But sometimes there's certain truths that are literally existing on the cliff's edge of heresy. And we have to be willing to walk up to that edge and know where the Word of God divides between what is true and what is not. If you think, you know, we've heard so much growing up in the church that we're children of God that it, it feels more Sunday school than it does supernatural divine power, you know? Because people in the past, when you said someone was a son of God, they're thinking like, think just Greek theology, which was not just this fun thing. It actually, Greek theology was actually their religion back then. And if you think of people like Zeus giving birth to like Hercules and these type of things, when they thought of a son of God, they thought of someone with crazy supernatural power that was equally human, equally divine, and and had favor with the big man upstairs and impacted nations and history. That was what a son of God was. So you think Paul coming into Greek towns talking about, hey, you want to become a son of God? It's totally free. Just believe. Like, what? It wasn't just like, it is, it is sit on daddy's lap and be a child, but it is also this crazy, powerful, supernatural, divine, you are like him. And that's where the names of God take a whole nother twist. And that's when you understand you're a new creation in Christ, it's actually, this is what it's talking about. The names of God are your new nature. And when you walk up to that, that, that edge and say that you are divine and that you, you know, you can say, I am with the I am, not that you are God, it's important to say, Make sure that is totally communicated when you start to walk close to those type of truths. And also to understand that you are never independent of that divinity that's flowing through your veins. You're not just independently divine. You are completely dependent on the only God, the one and only God. But then he calls you gods in Scripture, little g. I wish I had the, I should have brought the verse up so you guys know I'm not crazy. But Jesus said it. You can look it up. 
And but what that means is rulers. We're called to rule and reign with him on the planet. It doesn't mean that we like are going to collect gathering people and they start worshiping us and you know something like weird like that. It just means it means we're his children. If dogs give birth to dogs and cats give birth to cats, what is God giving birth to? So and this leads to the next phrase of this prayer. Now we could I mean each one of these could be books, I believe. But when we look at the next phrase of this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't believe that you can have the kingdom of heaven coming and the will of God being done on the earth separate from sons and daughters who are intimate with their dad and know who they are. One of the things Jesus prayed when he was getting ready to tie his time up on the earth in John 17, 6, he said, I have manifested your name to those you've given me. So one of Jesus' missions was actually, as he was living on the earth, his mission was to manifest the name of God so that everybody could see exactly what he was like. And now that's our mission. As Christians, as anointed ones, we're now to take on the names of God as clothing, which, by the way, we're the bride of Christ as well. Rachel, my wife's last name is LaMonica because she's my wife. Same thing. If we're the bride of Christ married to consuming fire, we are, it, there's, you got both of those to go off as far as inheriting the names of God. And when you inherit the names of God, heaven doesn't come to earth just because you prayed heaven come. Heaven comes to earth because you're being yourself. Because you now, as a son of God, as healing, if, I am, if my dad is healing and I'm aware of that reality and he's living inside of me and I pray for a sick person and they get healed, heaven's just come to earth, the kingdom has come. But it was because I was the portal. I was the gateway. I was the avenue and the highway for heaven to come to earth as a son and a daughter. So the will of God is naturally being done by people who are in relationship with him and know who they are. It's not just some mystical prayer out there, although it, our faith is extremely mystical. And I mean that in a more like mysterious way of us being in awe of him, not in a new age way. But we become that gateway. We become the gateway that heaven comes to earth through. We are the vehicle through which God is bringing his will and bringing his kingdom and expanding it in the earth. On earth as it is in heaven. I love when uh, people like Bill Johnson say things, you know, if it's not in heaven, it shouldn't be here. If it's there, it should be here. You just can go through the list. Everything that is here that's not in heaven, it's really, really easy to start discerning what's of God and what's not when you look through that lens. Right. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Is it, is it stealing? Is it killing? Is it destroying? It's not God. Is it good? It's probably him. Yeah. All right. Are you guys good? Yeah. Okay. Got a little bit of time left. I'm going to fast forward through some of these. Give us this day our daily bread. So again, it's absolute provision, no lack. There's always enough. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So daily bread is both your, your financial your provision, everything you need for life, and also you hearing God's voice, whether it's through reading Scripture or, or prayer and talking to Him. That daily bread is always available for you. This became a reality in my life. I was working at AT&T. I was in sales, 
uh, selling iPhones and I was getting written up because I wasn't selling enough. And I went out to my car and I, I opened up this prayer and I thought, man, God, you said, give me this day my daily bread. Like this is, you're telling me to pray this as if you're going to answer this. Right now, daily bread for me is more iPhone sales. I need more iPhone sales. And something shifted in this whole period of time where I just started, I was on the sales floor and I just started, to, I decided to rest in this portion of the prayer and, and not strive to make so many sales. And I just started, I would just sit and wait for customers and I'd say, man, I would just meditate like this, man, you're my dad and I'm your son. Like you, you want me to have daily bread more than I want daily bread, more than I need it. Like it's not just what I need, it's actually an abundance thing too. It's not like God just wants to give you your needs. He wants to give you your needs in abundance, overflowing. And as I rested in that, I stopped striving. You know, there would be um, people coming in with returns and all the other salespeople would run away. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take these people. I'm going to take the older people that just want flip phones. Um, I'm going to take the people that... Uh, I'm sorry, it's like, that's a real thing when you're selling iPhones. You're like, I do not want to sell another GoPhone, flip phone, pay plan again. But if they walk in with an AT&T bag, you know it's either a return or an issue. So you're like, oh gosh. So I just started taking them and trusting that God was going to be the provider, not me striving. And what would happen is I would take these customers and then once everybody else was busy, a 13-line business deal would walk in or something, like crazy stuff. And my sales just began to go up. Not because I was increasing in ability or anything like that, but because I was actually resting in the reality that God is my provider and that he gives me my daily bread and he's a good dad. He actually wants me to do better in my job. And uh, next portion of this prayer, forgive us of our debts. This, I'm not going to go deep into this, but by far one of the most important portions because the results and the cost of unforgiveness Literally take out every single thing in your entire Christian life. If you walk in unforgiveness, you cannot move forward in the Spirit. You are in prison. You are crippled. If there's any person you have not walked through forgiveness for, then you are not moving forward in the Lord, and you're stuck, and you're in prison, which is why you should go to the Sozo thing in August. <laughs> but the forgiveness thing is, you know, forgiving mom and dad, uh, this is something I just, it's just like, it's so foundational. Walking in unforgiveness, get that dealt with right away. Uh, it's like, it's like, um, I don't know. It's like the vowels of Christianity, like A-E-I-O-U, like forgiveness is one of the vowels. If you don't get that, you lose the whole thing. Okay. I don't feel like I really need to preach on that too much. Like, that's just so self-explanatory, um, which is, it, it could be a whole other message in and of itself, but the part I want to focus on as we finish up is the lead us not in temptation and deliver us from evil because I think these are two portions that are also really skipped over. Um, so the lead us not in a temptation part. Jesus came that we'd have life and life more abundantly. Right? Yes. Temptation is not an abundant life. Temptation is torment. Temptation is frustrating. And by the way, temptation doesn't exist in heaven. So why are we tolerating it so much every single day in our Christian life? As if it's something that we need to overcome and earn more brownie points or, oh, temptation just happens. It's like, no, I'm sorry. It doesn't just happen. If it's coming at you, there's a reason. And often the enemy is trying to get a legitimate need in your life met in an illegitimate way. 
So you can have temptation come at you and you can literally ask yourself, man, what a, what's going on? Why, what area of my life am I in lack or am I in need in my heart that the enemy has access to come and tempt me to fulfill that in an unholy way? And if you can find out what that need is, then you just go meet it in a healthy way. And the other thing is that temptation is literally attracted to false identity. So if you get that names part down, you get that identity part down, you know who you are, and something comes along in temptation, you're like, that's not even who I am. A new creation, new appetites, new desires. A foreign desire comes, it's like, that's not me. I'm seated in heavenly places. I can't even imagine myself having that feeling or emotion in heaven, so I'm not going to have it here. Or, and it sounds really cold, and, and, you know, but sometimes it's just like, no, that's the truth. Like, that's, that emotion, that feeling to do that stupid thing is not you because it's, it's not you in heaven, it's not you here. Because you're not two different people, like you're not this holy person in heavenly places, but you know, you on earth is really dirty and just, you know, you're working on it. And someday maybe you'll meet yourself, your real self, maybe, you know, but it's actually, that person is actually who you are right now. And the faster you realize that that is who you are right now, the faster it's going to manifest for you. So, lead us not into temptation, it's like we believe that when we pray for forgiveness, God is going to answer us, but do we believe that God actually wants to answer this portion of the prayer, lead us not into temptation? Do we actually believe? I heard someone preach one time about living above a snake line, because a certain line where there's no longer any snakes at a certain elevation. And we can live above that line in our Christian life where we're walking in such an identity when temptation is so much less it does happen. It comes and goes. I'm not saying that never happens. I'm saying it shouldn't be tolerated and expected as something normal in our Christian life. It is, it is, the, it is not the norm. And there's no guilt or shame if it does come because it's only revealing to you that there's a need that you have to get met in a holy way. Deliver us from evil. Some Bibles say deliver us from evil one. Uh, delivers from evil. But this right here, I think that if we get this as a church, this deliver us from evil, this right here will change the planet if we get what God is talking about when he's asking us to pray, deliver us from evil. Because when you think of evil, we will often just think the devil or sin or something really bad like cancer, which all those are true. But deliver us from evil when you actually, oh, did I bring my phone up here? I didn't. That's okay. I'll just, I'll just remember it. So the word for evil, when Jesus is talking about deliver us from evil, it's okay. I think Rachel probably has it, is poneros in the original language. Now, this word doesn't just mean evil in a general sense. It actually breaks it down. And the first one, the first definition, if you go and look in the Strong's for evil, is full of labors and difficulty. Now, the curse that was put upon Adam in the garden was difficulty in labor. And the curse that was put upon Eve was difficulty in labor. Different types of labor, but both difficult and both painful. Deliver us from evil. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, the curse was reversed, and we can now pray this with confidence and expect to see it manifest in our life. Deliver us from evil. This is about us experiencing an unprecedented amount of rest and favor in our lives, 
and for even for women to experience pain-free childbirth. Another word for it is toil, striving. Deliver us from striving. Deliver us from painful labors. Deliver us. Another word for this evil is annoyances. Annoyances. You got to think anything that is a result of the fall in any shadow, shape, or form is evil. So, how far do you actually want to take what your definition of evil is? Because if there were no annoyances in the Garden of Eden and there's no annoyances in heaven, what is annoying you in your life? It doesn't just have to be this big monstrosity, this cancer thing. It might be that your cell phone's always breaking. It might be that you got a flat tire. This kind of stuff, God wants to deliver you from evil. He wants you to be delivered from the stuff that you think is just life because that's not what just life looks like in heaven. What is, when someone's walking around in heaven, when they say that's just life, I think they would say that when somebody's getting healed. That's just life. People are healthy. <laughs> oh, somebody's birthday, they're celebrating, have a cake. That's just life. You mean nobody's died in that family? That's just life. You mean, like, whoa, you start to think, what is just life? And you take it to an extreme, and it looks scary for people because they're like, that's too good to be true. Well, then it's probably the gospel. That's pretty much the definition of the gospel. It's too good to be true, which means it is true. It is true. Annoyances. And even here, deliver us from the annoying one. You could actually translate it as deliver us from the annoying one, which is awesome. Isn't that awesome? Pain or trouble. How much pain are we just accepting in our life as just part of our life, you know? Disease. In the physical sense, Evil, in this verse, can mean disease. And in the ethical or moral sense, it can mean sin. So, if we can take this deliverance from evil and actually expect it to begin to manifest in our lives, I think that we would experience more of what heaven looks like on earth. Because it's not just, it's not just being free from sin, it's being free from every annoyance, which I'm, I'm kind of beating this over and over again, but are you guys catching what I'm saying? Because... I mean, I think extreme like this, and you can call me a heretic if you want to, but I'm thinking, like, what if flies didn't ever land on your watermelon when you're having a picnic? <laughs> it's like, no one has cancer, and there's no flies landing on your watermelon. Because if it was a result of the fall, then it's evil. It has a shade of evil in it, and everything that's evil, God wants to deliver you from, no matter how small or how great it might be. It is radical. And I'm thinking in my life, I'm like, how much evil can I actually be delivered from in this life? You know, if, if I'm wrong and I get to heaven and God's like, man, you really thought I wanted to deliver you from way more than I actually did. <laughs> like, can you be more optimistic than God? But you really thought I was way too good. Like, that's, that's a little crazy. You thought I wanted you to have that good of a life? You thought I wanted you to be that free? Oh my goodness. That's not till heaven when you die. Didn't you read? Well, I heard somebody say, if you think that you're only going to be delivered from all these things when you die, then death is your savior, not Jesus. And I, I've heard it from multiple people. So I don't even know where to quote it from, but I didn't come up with it. It's pretty good though, huh? 
So I'm just going to finish by praying the Lord's Prayer with you this morning, and then we're going to invite the prophetic teams come up right after that. Um, but I hope that some fresh life got breathed on the Lord's Prayer for you guys, and that a lot of times it's not like there's something practical. I'm giving you something practical. It's more of like an essence. It's more of a heartbeat that if you take that out, it will unfold in practical ways, but it, it needs that heartbeat needs to be there so that it can do that. Sometimes there's not like a, a practical thing to revelation. It's like you get the revelation and then it, you believe it and it starts to happen. Um, so let's just stand real, for a moment and, and I'm just going to pray. So, Father, thank you, God. Thank you that you're our dad. Thank you that we are your children. Thank you that we get to experience that intimacy with you. And God, we worship you for all of your names and who you are, God. Every single facet, every single dynamic of who you are, God. You are healing, God. And we welcome the reality of your names to be in our life. God, and we just want to clothe ourselves in your names. We want to walk and manifest your name like you did when you were walking the earth, God. And God, we, we say yes to your daily bread, your provision, God. We pray for finances to increase in our life, for breakthrough to happen in, in those areas, and, for, and God, for us to hear your voice more and be more intimate with you, uh, for the daily bread of your voice to be activated in our lives, God. God, forgive us of everything that we've ever done wrong, God. We receive that forgiveness. God, I thank you that you desire us to walk in forgiveness, and we just surrender, even right now, any unforgiveness that we have towards anybody, God. We just want to surrender that, and we receive your forgiveness, God. God, lead us not into temptation. We thank you that we can walk in your abundant life and have fun, and we don't have to always be worried about walking in temptation, God. So I pray right now that you would just bolster up our identity Give us uh, discernment as to what needs are happening in our hearts so we can yeah. walk in freedom and walk in freedom from temptation. And that, f- that I pray, God, that this would be a temptation-free zone, yeah. that this would just be a temptation-free family, that we would experience a whole new level of what it looks like to walk free from temptation and sin. Yeah. And God, deliver us from evil in every minute and major facet of the Word, God, that we would begin to expect a new level of breakthrough when it comes to evil, living an evil-free life. In Jesus' name, yours be the glory and the victory and the power forever. Amen. Amen. And if that prayer gets answered in your life, you're going to need to say thank you because it's going to like, it's like, it's so good that you can't, you don't want to take any credit for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you for joining us. 